0: All right, glad you're here and welcome 2024. I mean, who would have thought, where did that year go? That was the fastest year. And so this year, if we know a year's coming up, we want to plan on how do we grab hold of this and get the horns to it and make this year the best year possible. And uh, I think you're off to the right start. BPL this year, I want to do something a little bit, um, I think, helpful for us for the lessons we teach. I'm going to think, of, since there's 12 months in this year, Why don't I take the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples and do one every month for 12 months? And the reason is, we know about some of the ones. You know, we all know about Judas a little bit, and we know about some like John. But a lot of those you may not know. And so I thought, why don't we just take one disciple each month, go through his life, leadership, what it was like, why he was so special that Jesus would choose him out of all the others, and we'll learn about them, and you're going to find yourself in some of them. And so I hope that'll be of help to you, okay? Really glad you're here. You look good, and I hope you enjoyed your lunch, and this is what we do every month. Let me tell you what BPL is, in case you're new, all right? I'm Bill Purvis. I'm past- I was pastor here for 36 years. I came in, uh, in July of, uh, I think it was July, no, it was back in April, I'm sorry, March, April of 1983. And uh, I have my wife right here on the front row. We've been married now 40 Six, how many years? Forty-three. Forty-two. <laughs> I'm losing it. Forty-two years. She doesn't even look 42 years old, okay? But, uh, but uh, for those years, when I came to Cascade, the culture was different, okay? There were, Columbus, Georgia, by the way, in case you don't know, Columbus is the second most highly populated or saturated city in America with churches. There's churches on every block. The number one is Mobile, Alabama area. Number two is Columbus, Georgia area. And you know this, you can drive down the street, there's church here, church here, everywhere, a church. And so um, when we came, Cascade was the smallest church of all the churches in Columbus. And they had a dollar and sixty-seven cent in the bank, and they were thirty days away from being sold to become a 7 Eleven. And so that was kind of where they were. And so Debbie and I stepped in, no salary, no hope. Easter Sunday, 32 people. And that's, you know, so Easter's your high day. That's the biggest it would ever get. And we laughed about it. Those 32 weren't speaking to each other. They were all mad at one another. And so uh, it was a long journey, 36 years, but God blessed and grew. And we spun off a lot of churches out of that that grew and missionaries around the world. And, and it's just been a great experience. And now we're in another season of our life. But through all of that, I started BPL because of this. I understood there's a difference between somebody who knows how to lead and somebody who doesn't. I I was raised where I got to be around people that two people come out of the same family, one of them just made wiser decisions. They just seemed to do things that were right. And they came out of the same family. And so I would notice that. What made that one different? Raised in the same family. Why did this one do this? And so I started learning leadership I didn't learn it early. I didn't learn leadership probably a reading until I was about 24, 25. And then I really got on a quest for it. And as I grew, I realized everything, this is true, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything. Your house, a school, your city. If you got something going on, if the church is bad, look at the pastor. If the uh If the city is bad, look at the mayor, look at the leaders. Look at leadership and everything, and you'll solve most problems pretty quick. Just figure out, why is that home wrong? Leadership. Why is that team losing? Leadership. I was with somebody the other day There's a world champion in the area, and one of the first things he said, they said, well, so-and-so didn't learn this, and he said, he got a bad coach. He says, always a bad coach. And he was so emphatic, she said, no, I've been under 10 coaches. He said, no, no, it's always a bad coach. And she even got offended by that the next day and said, I don't like your friend. I said, my friend is a world champion, okay? My friend has no coaches. Uh, and so leadership is the key. That's why we want to grow in leadership. If we can change that one thing, it'll give us 10 benefits. Sometimes in life, you're going to make one decision that gives you a lot of good wins. Sometimes you make one decision, it does one win. It solves one problem. But you'll make one decision, it solves five problems. That's what leadership does. I want to help you to do that. So let me jump in right off the bat. I want to give you quickly a statement I wrote about the purpose so you know why we do what we do, and then I'll give you this, okay? The purpose of BP Leadership is to provide biblical leadership examples from the Bible, both good and bad, uh, uh, for personal and professional growth, for your own growth and for your company. We learn from the lives of historic people, real people from different periods of history in different cultures, young and old, married and single, uh, female and male, fearless and fearful, a thousand different variables. But we learn through the Bible the best characters, and then we learn leadership. And while I believe the Bible is primarily a book of salvation, I also found it to be the best book for me on finances, on marriage, on relationships, and leadership. So that's why we take into and do it, all right? Now, let's, just, uh, let's talk today about 12 men that Jesus handpicked for his team. Now, sometimes we get the idea that, that Jesus walked along and he just saw a guy and he said, I want you to come work for me. Hey, you be on my team. He didn't. He had many disciples already. He had a lot of them. He called them all together. And out of all of those, he observed who he thought would be the 12 he wanted. And he actually spent a whole night in prayer the night before he officially called them to make certain he was getting the right ones. So he chose 12 among many. It wasn't like he just chose the first 12. So let me ask you a question. What would God be looking for if he was choosing somebody? What would you look for? I often wonder what, when Jesus was looking at all these people, he knew He knew them inside out. He knew them from birth. He knew all about them. What is it about those 12 that made them unique or special? Why did he choose them? Why did he get a Bartholomew? Why did he get a Thaddeus? We never hear that. Why did he do that? And so that's what we're going to look at. But now, uh, today, we'll look at another one, uh, one that I'll show you in a second. His name is Andrew. But right off the bat, we know that when he handpicked them, there's a rough group, all of them different, some farmers, some fishermen, all the rest. Quickly, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Because you get those words interchanged sometimes. The 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Literally, it's this a disciple is a learner. We are disciples of Jesus, okay? A disciple means under-disciplined. We get that word from that. So it means I'm learning, I'm a disciple of, a mentee of, somebody's mentoring me. And so all followers of Jesus are disciples. However, an apostle was different. apostle was sent out with a special commission, and they were given the authority of their boss. So the apostle, all all apostles had one time been disciples, but not all disciples will ever be apostles. There's only twelve apostles. Those that's them. The disciples are really all of us, but we interchange the names so that it's so that it's known. To be an apostle, you had to have several things. You had to be handpicked by Jesus. You had to uh, you had to have a special gift or, or 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 some kind of calling, and that validated who you were. And then you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. So if you had those three qualifications, you could be an apostle. That was his group he had with him. All right, let me jump right in today on the one that you're going to love. This one is the guy named Andrew. Andrew. Some of you may be named that or have a kid named that or something like that. Andrew comes upon the scene. He was first a disciple of John the Baptist. He started off as John's disciple. And then when he heard John one day say these words, he said, "'Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world.'" He was a Jew. He understood there's a Messiah coming. And he realized, whoa, uh, Jesus is the Messiah. So he, he put himself in the portal, okay? He transferred. He left John the Baptist's team, and he went over to Jesus' team, all right? And that's really what he did. He, he converted. Now, when he, when he shifted over, think about this. His background was with John the Baptist, so he was pretty hardcore and strong. Now he's with Jesus, who's loving and kind but very wise, And so that's where we first find him. He obviously wanted to grow because he was willing to leave here to go there. And by the way, in our life, how far we go is always determined by how far we grow. How far you go is decided by how far you grow. If you keep growing, you can go far. Your your business everything stops growing when you stop growing. And so there's two problems you'll get in your business sometimes. One is you'll be hungry to grow, or you're dying to grow, or you're the manager, the leader. You're growing. Two problems you can get if you're really eager to grow. One is the people above you may not be wanting to grow. Some of you may have a boss that you already are having to make, make more of the decisions, and they're, it's, got, it's a lid on you. You can't get further because of that. Some of you may be the leader, and you've gone so far, but the people behind you on your team are not growing. I remember one time I had a staff years ago, and I brought in a world-class speaker to meet with me and the staff. And he walked in the door, and Debbie, remember, because he's going to lunch with us, he walked in the door, and he opened the door, and he looked at our staff, and he talked to them for a minute. And then he said, come here, Bill. And he said, Debbie, you too. And he walked, and we walked out of the staff room, and he shut the door. Now, the whole staff said, and he said, is that your staff? And I said, yeah. And he went, Phew. And me and Debbie were proud. We were like, oh, we're good. And he went, Bill, in my whole life, I've never seen such a gap between the leader's skills and the staff. He said, that gap between the two of you is good. He said, you could go real far, but you got too big a gap. And that was his words. Now, I had to do two things. Either you go in there and get rid of everybody, and I didn't want to do that, or you go in there and learn to grow them to close the gap. And Some of you may have that. So, if you're, if you're growing and you're a leader, that may be where you go. Let me quickly move t- uh, to the rest about Andrew. He stepped out on faith, we say. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. The first thing Andrew did was he ran and got his brother Peter. He had to go get his brother Peter. He said, I got to go tell you, we found the Messiah, so he does that. But here's the problem about Andrew. Here's the, here's the downside that will relate to a lot of you. Andrew lived his life in the shadow of a well-known brother. You ever know what it's like to be second? No matter how good you are, you're still overshadowed by somebody. Somebody else has more talent or skill or whatever. Andrew lived his life in the shadow of that. Think about it this. Andrew's the brother of Peter. Peter's one of the most famous guys in all the Bible. Uh, Peter is, uh, he, he wrote books of the Bible. He preached to thousands. Everybody knew Peter. Peter walked down the street. They all knew him. He's known to thousands, speaks to thousands. In fact, Peter one day had 3,000 people give their lives to God when he got through speaking. Now, Andrew is the little brother looking at Peter. Andrew went and got him, but Peter just, it was like he just grabbed hold of a rocket. He just took off, and now he's known everywhere. And Peter is bold. Peter's outspoken. Peter's, he's well-known. He's well-liked. He's charismatic. Now, you got Andrew, on the other hand, he's quiet. He's quiet. He's, he doesn't say much. Peter's mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible. Andrew's mentioned three times. I mean, you talk about being overshadowed and over Now, here's what it tells me about that. Uh, one is, obviously, that, that um, not all leaders are loud. We got the idea that if you're a leader, you got to be loud. You got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to speak. Not all leaders are loud. Some of the best leaders I know are quiet. I remember one time we went and did a, there was a guy that invited me to come speak to his business. He said, I want you to come to Captiva Island and speak down here at Captiva to my, all of my, uh, my companies. And I said, sure, and we worked it out. And I went down there and, did it, and we said, well, what's, what's he got? I said, he's got a pretty big company, I think. And I said, um, and I, he's, this is his companies. We get in there thousands of people, and they're people from every state. He's got a company, a business in every state in America. And he's got hundreds of people. And so then I realized what he really was in the big leagues. And here's what he did. When I would speak, he had a chair. And I would stand here on a podium with all these people. And he would sit beside me. And he talked real quiet. In fact, you would never know he's a leader. He whispered. And so he would talk. And he would sit beside me while I spoke. And if I said something, he'd say, stay on that. Stay on that. So I would do it. Then i say something, else. he said, we got that, move on. And I mean, he lit- the whole time I spoke for three days, he's whispering, that's good. Yeah, do that dude." And, and literally, he's a quiet leader. But boy, you talk about impact. I don't think he ever raised his voice. What I'm telling you is Andrew must have been that way. Andrew, you don't have to be loud, okay? Andrew was a quiet leader. And here's the good thing about it. He was humble. He was steadfast. God uses people of all shapes and sizes, don't think God's got to use you just because you're like this. No, God chose and uses you. What I like is he embraced his role. He, he was second and satisfied. And by the way, if you can ever learn to be second and satisfied, you know your gift. He, Andrew's not worried about trying to compete with Peter. He's saying, look, I'm in my role, running my race, staying in my lane. And so that's who he was. There's a big benefit to that. So here's what you do. Understand these things. Second seed is not less important. It's not less important to be an assistant or a second or whatever. In fact, if you're not in that role, first seat can probably never get anywhere. Just because you're not noticed doesn't mean that you're not important. A lot of people do a lot of things that we don't see with our eyes, but it weren't because of this. It subdues your ego. It, it kind of it suppresses your ego if you're second. You always know, you know, no matter what, they may get the credit or they may get the biggest benefit or per. Now, here's what I know. It's not easy also because of this. If you're second, you're not always on your agenda. You're on somebody else's agenda. You're having to fulfill their vision. So if you're second, sometimes it's frustrating because you say, this is what I'd like to do, but I got to do what they want. So those are the downsides to being second. Now, if you're second, in fact, I mentioned to you this, understand this. Dan Riley wrote, there's a difference between being the person you want to be and the person God wants you to be. You may want to be there, but God wants you here. And if you'll stay where you... I used to know a guy that was the most organized man. He was in church work. He was an organizational genius. He could assemble people, but he wanted to be a pastor. He wanted to preach. And I would tell him all the time, you don't need to be a pastor. You can't preach. Nobody wants to hear you. He would... He'd get, he would kill a church. A thousand people would be there. He'd get a church. He's got a thousand people. And within six months, there'd be 400 people. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd jump out of windows. He can't preach. But he could work under a preacher, and he could organize thousands. And I used to say, Dan, stay in your lane. You're not a preacher. And he just wouldn't get it. He, I wanted his gift to be able to organize, but he didn't appreciate his own gifts because he wanted somebody else's. Uh, Andrew didn't do that. Here's some questions, by the way. If you're second and you're working for somebody else, Dan Rollin gives us six questions that we ought to answer, and this is about toward the first person. Let me show you what they are. Number one, do I respect them? It's going to be hard to work for somebody you don't respect. So, do I respect them? Number two, do I agree with their vision? Is the vision that they have what I see and what I embrace? Number three, am I growing in this setting? If you're not growing in an environment, you want to go to a job where you're growing at. Uh, There's an old statement that somebody made years ago. They said, most people would go to work earlier, stay at work longer, and work harder if they knew they made a difference. And so, am I growing in this? Number four, do I complement their gifts? That is, do my gifts complement the leader's gifts? Number five, can I accomplish more under them than I can on my own. And that means if I, is it really the fact that, that I am bringing the goods and, uh, and is that a lid for me or is that liberating? Number six, does my leader have my best interest in heart? Now there's the big thing. I, I'm big on this. I remember one time the biggest fight I've ever had at this church and, and I, there may be one guy here that was there in those days. But it was a real argument and I went over the edge and, and I don't apologize for it. But we were fighting with the finance committee at that time about giving raises to staff who were unknown and no unnoticed. And one of them made this statement about, well, my people, because he works when he paid his people cheap. And I remember just blowing up. And I said, let me tell you something. Bread and gas and milk cost the same thing for them it does for me and you. The very same thing. And it's all the work they do and they don't get known. And I mean, me and him had it. And, he, it, it, and thank God he's no longer in this place. But that kind of cheap thing, if you're a leader, you need to look out for your people. You take care of them. They'll take care of you. I mean, they, when they came to you, you gave them a trust that I believe you can do the job. And if they do the job, pay them for it. Treat them right. Give them benefits. It makes a big difference. So the question one want to know is, does my leader have my best interest in, at heart? Now, John Maxwell lists three benefits that I love. I've used this before in another message. Here's, here's what he says. If you're second, here's how to be satisfied. Here's some benefits. How do I embrace that? Number one, learn this. Expose, you get more exposure to different people and experiences. If I'm not the leader, but I'm working with somebody and they've got more influence and opportunity, I get to benefit by meeting them. My son, Brent, will tell you today, he's got like eight or nine big world-class friends. It took me 20 years to be their friends. Because of my relationship with them, he became their friends in 20 minutes. And so he'll tell me now, I was just talking, he told me yesterday, so-and-so called me and he was just talking to me about this last week. And I mean, this is a legend. And he's just talking to me. Yeah, he calls me all the time. And, and I started laughing. I said, it took me 15 years to get him to return my phone call. Now he's calling you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, boy, isn't that something? But that's what, if you're second, you get access that you might not have got by being first. So look at it as a benefit. Number two, um, you, you get the opportunity to use your strengths. When you're running everything and you're the boss, you got to do everything. You got your hands in all kind of stuff. But if you're not, you got one area. You can get in that area and learn and grow and pour as much. And then the other is, is if you're second, usually the atmosphere for you to succeed in is easier. Uh, that is, if you're in an environment where you can do your best, you can generally grow there and do well. Uh, and so that's the key. Now, there's a statement that that I, that I like that I read. Here's a Helen Lowry quoted this. She said, How often have I been put to test to make the best of second best? Only to see that one day to see that second best was best for me. It's I believe that everybody who becomes a good leader has to grow by learning leadership and learning under a leader. Get up under somebody, get all their goods, learn all you can, enjoy that moment, be your best. And then know that when you're doing it, one day you may have a chance to be the leader. But all of that wasn't wasted that you learned. And one day, if you don't get to be the leader, you just decide if the leader is good, it's because I helped make them good. I helped make them look well. I, I did what I could to help them. I, uh, I love football, always have. It's always been my favorite sport. And I played a little bit in high school. And Here's the thing that, that I always thought about with football. I had a friend who was a phenomenal player, but he never got awarded. And yet we couldn't have done what we did without him. And I've noticed through the years that that's the player that generally is overlooked. It's the center. The center is the first person to put his hands on the ball. He's the first person that, uh, that makes the whole play start. Everything really rises on him. But he don't get much credit. We don't hear a lot of people saying, man, get the so-and-so, the center, gets the Heisman Trophy. I don't think any center has ever won a Heisman Trophy. There are a lot of other things. Centers don't get recognized. I knew a guy that a few years ago, he, he died, but he had played center for some of the best quarterbacks, Fran Tarkenton and several other guys. And, and he'd room with them in college, and I'd say, man, nobody knows your name, and yet you knew all those guys. he yeah. He said I touched them. He said, nobody else touched me in those places other than my wife than those men. And we'd laugh about those things, but he got experience to know people all over the world because he was the quiet little sinner. That's what Andrew was. Andrew was the quiet disciple. But let me say this in closing. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine? I'm a kingmaker. I'd rather I'd rather make you a king than be a king. Okay. If you ask me what you th- feel like, it's making everybody up. take them. I, if I could have been a girl, I'd have wanted to be a head cheerleader. That's. I just. I want to cheer you on. Can you imagine, Andrew? I can't help but think. Can me imagine in Andrew's heart? Here's this guy who one day says, I found the Messiah, and he goes to his big brother who's out going and bold, and he's thinking, I mean, how do you witness to your big brother? But he goes to his big brother, and he tells him, we found the Messiah, and Jesus reaches him, and Peter takes off. Peter's got this great world impact, you know, and Andrew's the quiet boy. Imagine Andrew standing behind the curtains one day, thousands of people hearing his big brother. Andrew's looking at Peter, And Peter gives an invitation and 3,000 men start coming to God, radically changed. Andrew's looking there. Can I imagine Andrew thinking, that's my brother. That's my big brother. I scared to death. I went over there and got him because I can't talk to crowds, but he could. Look at what God did to my big brother. It would have never happened had I not went and got my brother. Andrew's the spiritual father of all of those blessings that Peter had. Wouldn't you like to do that? If you're the Andrew, just remember, it's not about how much you get. It's about how many other people you help to get what they want. I hope that helps you today. Thanks for being here today. Let's go be the leaders we ought to be.